0: Everybody, thank you. And by everybody, I mean not only everybody that's here with me at our Banks Mill campus, but also those of you that are joining us at our West or Ridge campuses or online. I am so grateful and excited that you are here, especially today, as we're heading into what I know for many of us will be a very busy. Thanksgiving week. Yeah, that's right. In just four days, many of us will gather with family and friends for a meal and an opportunity to give thanks. But also know in reality, it is a day that far too often is more stress-giving than Thanksgiving. And then on top of that, Thanksgiving marks the official beginning of what I refer to as our annual Six-week, full-on, four-alarm sprint to the holiday finish line. And so, over the last couple of weeks, we've been trying to get ready for what we know is coming, to get ready for the inevitable stress and pressure that always seem to sneak in to the holiday season. And so, we've been exploring some practical ways to lower the stress, to stress the giving, and to get a little more thankful this year. And so our guide on this journey has been these great words from King David in Psalm 119. They're there on the top of your outline. Since this is the last week, we'll look at this verse. I want us to read it together, out loud with enthusiasm across all of our campuses. Even if you're watching online, let's read this together. You ready? Here we go. As pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. You catch that? In other words, David is saying that the best way to push back against pressure and stress is not red wine in an ambient. It's not a, a better time management app so you can get more done in less time. It's not going to be found in some self-help book at the bookstore or online at Amazon. The best way to push back against pressure and stress is to refocus our heart and our minds on the unchanging truth, promises, and principles of God's Word. And that's what this series has been all about. And so today, as we wrap things up, I want us to focus on what I believe is our most effective tool against pressure and stress, and that is gratitude. A grateful heart is to stress what water is to a raging fire. And so my hope is that we can start to put a little more thanks back into our Thanksgiving and a little more joy back into our holiday season. And here's the good news about gratitude. It is always a choice. You can always choose gratitude. Listen, I understand you don't probably don't get to choose the people you're going to have to be around this week. I understand you don't get to choose the circumstances that you're going through or are going to go through over these next six weeks. In fact, the reality is you probably don't even get to choose the emotions you'll feel this holiday, whether you are happy or sad. But you can choose to be grateful no matter what. And so to help us learn how to choose gratitude, we're gonna look at what I believe is one of the most famous examples of gratitude in the entire New Testament. This event is recorded in Luke's Gospel, the 17th chapter. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I would love for you to turn and click there. That's where we're gonna be hanging out. While you're looking for Luke chapter 17, let me just give you sort of an overview, a Reader's Digest condensed version of this event. It takes place in the latter half of Jesus' earthly ministry. In fact, he and his disciples are traveling from Galilee, their home region, to the capital city of Jerusalem. And while they're making this trip, they decide to visit and do ministry in a group of villages that are located in the border region between Galilee and Samaria. And one day, as they're heading towards a village, they run into a group of 10 men who are incredibly desperate. These men are so desperate that when they see Jesus and recognize him, even though he's a long way off, they immediately, in unison, begin to cry with a loud voice, as loud as they can, help me, Jesus. Jesus, have mercy on me. And the reason these 10 men are so desperate is because they've all been diagnosed with a disease called leprosy. And leprosy was a physically debilitating disease. In the first century, it was untreatable and incurable. It would start with a small sore that would appear somewhere on the skin. But over time, those sores would completely overtake the body and and the bones and the nerves. It would literally rot the flesh off of their bones. In fact, many lepers would, over time, would have fingers that would just fall off, toes that would just fall off. It was an incredibly physically debilitating disease, but it was also a very socially isolating disease because the moment a person had their very first sore appear on their body, they were immediately put out of the village, quarantined, separated from family and friends. In fact, they could not be within 50 feet of another person who didn't have leprosy. That's why these 10 guys were together in a group, and that's why they were outside of the village. Can you imagine that? We thought social distancing at six feet was hard, imagine having to keep people away at 50 feet. We thought it was isolating this last year and a half, not being able to see family or friends, missing important life events. Imagine never being able to go near your family, your friends, always being isolated. But listen, leprosy was not just physically debilitating and socially isolating. It was spiritually devastating. Lepers were considered spiritually unclean, not just from a health standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint, because first century Jews believed that illnesses were the direct consequence of a sinful life. And leprosy, the most debilitating disease of all, must have meant that you were a really, really sinful person. You could not go into the temple. You couldn't even offer sacrifices for forgiveness. You were separated not just from family and friends, but you, you were felt like you were isolated from God himself. In fact, a leper, if anyone came near them, they were required by law to shout out as loud as they could, unclean. To say of themselves, unclean. Can you imagine Think about this. Have you had this experience over the last year and a half? You're in a store somewhere or you're surrounded by people and you cough. Have you felt the judgment of that? Like you're, oh, you know. Multiply that by 100 and you start to get an idea of what life was like for these 10 men. They desperately cried out to Jesus for help. And his response to them was very interesting. When they said, help us, Jesus, Jesus said, sure, go to Jerusalem, see the priest. Go see the priest in Jerusalem. Why would Jesus say that? Like, because I don't want to get close to those sick, filthy, lepers. Go see the church. Maybe the people at church can help you. No, it's not why Jesus said that. See, if a leper was healed in order to verify that they weren't sick anymore, they had to go to Jerusalem to the priest and have their body inspected to make sure there were no sores. And if the priest approved, then they could go back to their family, back to their villages, back to their life. What's interesting is Jesus doesn't heal them and then say, now go show yourself to the priest. He just tells them to go show yourself to the priest while they're still covered with sores. Why? I believe it was a test of their faith. In a way, Jesus was saying, act as if you're healed and you will be healed. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. As they were heading to Jerusalem, all 10 of these men were miraculously healed from this devastating disease. And one of them One of them, a Samaritan, a foreigner, when he realized that he had been healed, he stopped dead in his tracks, did a 180, and went running back to Jesus, fell at his feet in gratitude and thanksgiving and praise. And Jesus is like, really? Weren't 10 of you healed? And the only one who came back is this foreigner this Samaritan. And then he looks at this guy and says, get up off your knees and go. Your faith has made you well. Some English translations say your faith has saved you. And I believe what Jesus is saying is that what you have received is more than just a physical healing you have received a spiritual healing, a total transformation from the inside out. All 10 of them were physically healed, but this man, because of his gratitude, received a deeper, radical, total life transformation. And I believe if we can peel back the layers of this amazing encounter, we can see very clearly four keys to choosing gratitude. Four things that every one of us can do this week and every day moving forward to choose gratitude. So let's jump into that. Number one, the first thing I got to do to choose gratitude is express it often and openly. To express it often and openly. What do I mean by that? I mean, regularly and consistently say it out loud verbally express my gratitude. Because that's what this leper did, notice verse 16. It said he threw himself at Jesus' feet and what? What does that say? Thanked him, circle that word, thanked. The verb in the Greek language that Dr. Luke chose to use literally means a continual outward expression of gratitude. It's not just an emotional feeling inside. It is a verbal, continual expression. As a matter of fact, it's the exact same verb that the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians 1.16 when he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. My point is this. Grateful people say it and saying it makes people grateful. Let me say that again. Grateful people say it, and saying it makes people grateful. Every parent knows this. Every mom knows this. Because you remember when your kids were little, anytime anybody ever did anything for them or gave something to them, you always said to them, what do you say? What do you say, little Johnny, to the nice man? What do you say, little Johnny, to Aunt Agnes for her spam meatloaf and lima bean casserole? What do you say? You understand, we're not looking for honesty in that moment, are we? We're not wanting little Johnny to say, Aunt Agnes, you should be permanently banned from the kitchen and never be allowed to cook again. No, we're looking for a conditioned response. Why? Because we know if our kids can learn to say it, they can learn to be it and guess what grown-ups that's true for us as well the more you choose to say it out loud the more open your heart becomes to experience and gratitude you want to choose gratitude Say it often and openly. Number two, the second thing we have to do is be thankful for imperfect gifts. Be thankful for imperfect gifts. Now listen, if you've been paying attention the last couple of weeks, you've probably noticed that I have talked about our unrealistic expectations almost every week. And the reason I'm doing that every week is not because I've run out of things to say, It's because of how toxic our perfectionism is to our joy and gratitude, right? In fact, I would say our unrealistic expectations of people and circumstances is probably the source of most of the stress in our lives. Dr. Richard Carlson, the author of that great book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and the sequel, by the way, it's all small stuff, he says this, I've never met a perfectionist whose life was filled with joy. Listen, our, our unrealistic expectations are not only a joy stealer, they are a gratitude killer. If you wait for people and circumstances in your life to be perfect, to be grateful for them, you'll never be grateful. And this part of the story, this in my opinion, is one of the most interesting things in the whole leper story. And it's so easy to miss. You find it in verse 18. This is Jesus speaking when he says, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? What's the significance of the fact that the leper who returned was a foreigner, a, a Samaritan? It's this. While Jesus had given him an incredible gift, he had not solved all of this man's problems. Yes, he was healed from leprosy, but he was still a Samaritan. He was still an outsider. Even if he's clean, he can't go into the temple like the Jews can. He will still face oppression. He will still be judged by his culture and upbringing. And Jesus had not turned back the hands of time and restored all of the years that the leprosy had taken from him. Well, we don't know how long this guy's been out and away from his family and village. We don't know how long it's been, but there's a better than average chance that when this guy returned home, that maybe his kids were already grown up and gone and he'd missed all those years. Who knows, maybe his wife, realizing that he's never coming back, it's like he's dead to her, maybe she's remarried and moved on. My point is this, Jesus didn't fix everything and make everything great in his life, and yet he still chose to be grateful. I think most of us here, we recognize that that God has blessed us with gifts, but in this life, those gifts are always imperfect. Imperfect. God is perfect, but the gifts He gives us in this life are imperfect because of the brokenness of the world and our brokenness, right? Your body's a gift from God, right? Is your body perfect? (laughs) No, right? And so tomorrow morning, when your eyes open, you have a choice. You can complain about the aches and pains. You can gripe about how hard it is to lose weight and stay in shape, or you can look in the mirror and gripe about the hairs that aren't there or how old your wrinkled crow's feet are, or you can wake up and say, thank you, God, for my body and breath in my lungs, and another day to serve and praise you. Your kids are a gift from God. The Bible says children are a gift from the Lord. Are your kids perfect? Neither are mine. You know that because you've heard stories about them for 20 years, but you don't need them to be perfect to be grateful for them. Those of you who are here with your spouse today, you are sitting next to an imperfect gift. I know you're thinking, thank you, Captain Obvious. I got up this morning, got dressed, came out just to hear that. Well, before you get too cocky, recognize this. They're sitting next to an imperfect gift as well. But you can still be grateful for it. Now listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we should ignore and enable the unhealthy and destructive behaviors of the people around us. And I'm not saying to be okay with just okay, to settle for status quo in people or your circumstances. We should strive for the best. We should spur one another on to excellence in life. I'm just saying don't let the imperfections in people and circumstances keep you from being grateful for the gifts God has given you. So here's a question to ponder. What imperfect gift do you need to be a little more thankful for this year? Is there something that maybe it's not all you wanted it to be, but it's still a gift from God? Maybe that applies to your family. Look, I get it. Your your family is dysfunctional. All families are dysfunctional in one way or another, but you can be thankful for them because there's some people who don't have any family at all. How about your job? right? I know it's not the dream job. It's not what you grew up wanting to be, but you can be thankful for it because there are some people who can't find any job at all. I believe the more we will choose to be grateful for the imperfect gifts God has given us, the more grateful our hearts will become. Number three, the third thing we have to do to choose gratitude is to acknowledge God's gift in worship, to acknowledge God's gift in worship. Gratitude and worship are intertwined. They are two sides of the same coin. You cannot separate them because gratitude will lead me to worship and worship will lead me to being more grateful. In fact, notice verses 15 and 16 says, one of them, one of the 10, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. That church family is what worship looks like. This is the essence of worship because it contains the two key elements that are required for worship. See, sadly, we use the word worship as an adjective to describe something else. A worship song, worship music, a worship service, a worship center. But worship is not an adjective, it is a verb. It is an action. And the two essential actions for worship are one, recognize the gift, and two, praise the giver. You might want to write that down because that's the heart of what worship is. It's not about the songs and the lights and the message and the building and the people. It is simply about recognizing the gifts and praising the giver. You know, as a husband and as a dad, you know how I know when I've done a good job picking out gifts for Terry or for my children? How they respond when they open that gift you can see it not only on their faces but you can see it in their body language when I picked out a good gift their eyes light up and they hold that gift close to them and they're oh I love this gift I love this gift they're hugging the gift they're just so excited for it but you know how I know when I've knocked it out of the park it's not when they hug the gift it's when they get up walk across the room and hug the giver and say thank you daddy I love my gift. Church, that's what God desires from us. That we would recognize the gift, rush into his arms and say, thank you, daddy, for those gifts. I love this great verse from the Old Testament, Psalms 100. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name when's the last time you've done that when's the last time you've been reading the bible and you come across one of those amazing promises that just speaks to what's going on in your life and you just closed up the bible and looked up and said thank you daddy thank you daddy When's the last time you've looked at the beauty of creation around you and just were overwhelmed and said, thank you, daddy. You didn't have to make the world this colorful. You didn't have to create these textures. Thank you, daddy. When's the last time you've come to church for corporate worship? Not because of what you could get out of it, but because you had a desperate desire to be in the presence of your father and express your gratitude for him. Because that's what this is all about. When we gather on Sunday mornings, we have bands and worship teams not to entertain us like this is American Idol, but to lead us in verbally, frequently expressing our gratitude to God. That's why we teach out of God's worth so that we can say thank you, God, for this truth that transforms. Thank you for giving us a truth that sets us free. That's why we hang out together for a few minutes before and after the service so we can say thank you, God, that I get to be a part of your loving family. You will never truly experience worship unless you learn to acknowledge God's gift to you and simply say, thank you, Jesus. In fact, that's what next week's special Thanksgiving service is all about. That's why we're gathering next Sunday at 11 o'clock at all of our campuses. We are gathering to worship, to say, thank you, Jesus, through the songs that we sing to remember God's ultimate gift of his broken body and shed blood and say, thank you, Jesus. To celebrate new life baptism, to see lives transformed, hopelessness turned to hope, brokenness turn to joy and celebrate with them and say, thank you, Jesus, that we get to be a part of something that changes things for all eternity. Listen, if if our most effective tool to pushing back against stress is gratitude, then I can't think of a better way to prepare our hearts and minds for the stress we know is coming than to go into this holiday season with gratitude in our hearts. And so here's what I'm saying. I hope you will be here next Sunday on your campus. I hope you will make the effort. I understand it's a holiday weekend. I understand maybe you'll have family in town. Bring them with you. I I know many of you will be traveling, and I get that. And if you can't be here, join us online, but maybe you could come back a little early. It's that important. I understand some of you watching online are there because of, of your health and safety, and I get that, and I'm not asking you to put yourself in jeopardy. I'm just saying maybe this would be a good time to come home and express gratitude to God. We can gather safely at all of our campuses. We'll do everything we can to keep you safe. Yes, I'm saying make next Sunday a priority. Not because I'm trying to pack it out so we can go, ain't Cedar Creek great? Look at all these people, we're genuine. No, it's because I know how desperately we need to be grateful, especially after all we've been through, all that's going around us, all the darkness, all the struggle, all the negativity. There's never been a more more important time for the church to come together and say, thank you for the imperfect gifts. Thank you, Jesus. We choose gratitude by expressing it often and openly, by being thankful for the imperfect gifts, by acknowledging God's gift in worship, and then finally, by doing something concrete. Do something concrete. Because that's what separated this guy from the other nine. He not only felt grateful, I'm sure all of them were grateful when they realized they were healed. He just did something about it. Notice verse 17 and 18. Jesus said, weren't 10 men healed? Is this Samaritan the only one who came back to thank God? See, that's the thing. True gratitude always shows up in our actions. For years, I've kept a large single file in my office. This big accordion file is titled the encouragement file. And the reason I have it is anytime one of you write me a note, send me encouraging words, send me an email or a text, I will print that off and I will hold on to it. If you send me a nasty note or email, I will print it and throw it into the circular file. But I hold on to the encouraging one. And here's why. Because they mean so much. It meant somebody did something concrete. Somebody didn't just think or say, Philip, I appreciate you. They took the time to write it out, to type it out, to send it, to mail it. And I want to hold on to those because they are so encouraging to me. See, our greatest expressions of gratitude are always seen in our actions. But if you're like me, so many times I think I oughta, but then I never do. I get caught up in this, that, or the other, or I get distracted, and you know I don't write that note. I don't make that call. I don't buy those flowers, and time slips away. So let me ask you this. Who do you need to express gratitude to this week in a tangible way? Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to think of one person, one name, that you want to concretely express gratitude. I know you got 10 people, don't put 10. Just write their name, write their initials there. You know I can see you're not doing anything. Get out of your pit, write that name, write that initial as a commitment to say, this week I'm gonna do something concrete to express my gratitude for that person. And then do it. As Nike says, just do it. See, my hope, my prayer as we head into this Thanksgiving week is that we would begin to understand that Thanksgiving is not an event. It is a lifestyle. It's how we're to live every day. And so I'm going to close with one final question. It's the same question your mom asked you when you were little. And it's simply this. What do you say? What do you say tomorrow morning when you open your eyes and realize you've been given another day? What do you say when you look into the eyes of the people who love you this week? What do you say when you look out the window as you're traveling and you see the beauty of God's creation? What do you say when you open God's word and read that he knit you together in your mother's womb and he has a plan and a purpose for your life? What do you say? What do you say when you look at the cross And remember God's ultimate gift, the gift of himself. What do you say? Or better yet, how do you live? Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I don't have the words or the intellect or the ability to even scratch the surface of the gratitude that you deserve the thankfulness and the praise. And Father, I know for me and I bet for many that are listening to my voice, it has been so easy to slip into negativity. It's been so easy to get distracted by all the things around us and all the things that are broken, all the things that are dark and don't work all the things that anger us about life and the world around us, and take our eyes off of you, and to be grateful for who you are and all that you have done for us. So Father, this week, would you help me live a little more thankful? Would you reach into my heart in the midst of the battles and the struggles the fear and the frustration in the midst of the people who rub up against me the wrong way in the midst of circumstances that don't go the way i expect in all of that jesus would you help me choose to be grateful and to overflow in worship and praise and joy even from the depths of grief choose gratitude. Even when we're on the mountaintop of experiences. Thank you, Jesus. We can choose gratitude. I know we can't do this on our own. So, Jesus, would you pour out your Spirit? Holy Spirit, would you move right now across our campuses? Would you break down strongholds? Would you move, Jesus, in the lives and families of those who are watching online? Oh, would you help this Thanksgiving not be just a day of food and stress, but a day of pure joy that your church, your family would worship and praise and thank you with everything that we have, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.